Podcast Revolution Network presents The Way with Noah. Greetings and welcome to another edition of The Way with Fanoa. Recently, I had the opportunity to sit down with Eric Robertson, political director of Teamsters Local 728 and a vice president of the Atlanta North Georgia Labor Council. Eric and I had an interesting conversation looking at the 2018 landscape here in Georgia, as well as some of the nuance in progressive organizing as a whole. We also talked about the the elephant in the room, which is the Democratic primary in the governor's race, Stacey versus Stacey, really digging in deep and looking at what some outlets have considered a competing strategy within the Democratic Party. Do you build a broad-based coalition of uh, voters, including investing in voters of color, particularly black voters, or do you focus in trying to win over the moderate voter, the moderate Republican that may have voted for uh, Donald Trump in the past process, a similar strategy we saw that kind of fell short in the Ossoff campaign. So as we look forward and see, you know, two campaigns, two women who are battling for the highest office in the state to lead us forward, um, there, there are particular issues that have come up uh, several times and it deserved a, a, a fuller conversation. Um, so I was really excited to have Eric join me. Please take a moment to listen and share, like, subscribe, but uh, make sure that whatever you do going forward, you get involved, uh, however you see fit, wherever you see your place. Peace. Good afternoon, Eric. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, this, the uh, weather is finally warming up a little bit, so uh, I'm not, I can actually drive around the city now without fear of crashing and right. killing people. No slick sheet. So, I mean, well, in some places there still is a little of the slick ice, but for the most part, it's clearing up. And uh, the sun, the sun, the bright sun has been shining all week, but we finally getting a little bit of that warmth to to, to thaw things out. Um, so I saw a pretty awesome video of you recently. <laughs> it seems like you, you took the time to take some words to talk about the 2018 uh, our gubernatorial race here in Georgia, in particular on behalf of um, candidate Stacey Abrams. And I just wanted to kind of get your take. Uh, you, you, I mean, I thought you did a really good job in the video of laying out, you know, not no. only why you were in, but just kind of the issues facing um, families across the state, you know. Uh, so just think about just just kind of just what makes you in for for Abrams in your own words. Well, I, I think uh, as a progressive, uh, there's a I have a strong pull to support women of color candidates mm-hmm. in general. Um, but uh, Stacey's not just your average candidate. I, I, um, I Stacey is a, a, a brilliant uh, leader and um, a strategist and someone who's really gotten down and dirty trying to protect working people and uh, people of color and women in Georgia from this, you know, these vicious right-wing attacks that have been coming down uh, through state legislatures 
really, you know, since probably since the uh, after the 2010 elections, when uh, everything started really going uh, bonkers with these states, you know, banning collective bargaining in Wisconsin and and uh, all the different attacks on workers that happened across the country, um, that was right when sort of Stacy uh, accepted the mantle of uh, leading the the House Caucus as minority leader, and um, I I. I I, um, to be honest, when I first uh, sort of became aware of Stacy, I bought into some of the things that uh, you hear out there among uh, sort of the hard, you know, really hardcore progressives, uh, you know, thinking, saying that she's just, you know, t- too moderate. She, she cuts deals and all these types of things. And then as uh, that was also around the time that I became a lobbyist at the Capitol. So I really got to see Stacy in action and see, know about some of the background of the things that are, that are always discussed in terms of uh, legislation that she supported that other people think, you know, thought that she shouldn't have supported and, you know, and, you know, had really good frank discussions with her about the strategic decisions that she made um, that caught her some flack. But, you know, that to me, that's what being a leader is all about. It's not about, doing what doing what everybody thinks you should do is doing what is best for the people and um and uh, and every time stacy's been able to explain these things that people were um criticizing her for i found her explanations to completely make sense and to really be like something that's like well that's probably what i would do if i knew all the things that you know you know um and and uh you know, so I, I find that a lot of people, in particular folks on the left, spend a lot of time sort of nitpicking her on issues that they only know, you know, one side of a particular story about a piece of legislation, or they don't know the background. They also don't know what was sort of the stakes that were out there. Um, and what I found was that Stacey spent a lot of time negotiating uh, with those Republicans. When she did give her support to bills that people criticized her for, it was to get those to make those bills less harmful. Uh, and, and, and if, if you looked at the bills before she, she decided to, you know, cut the deal, um, that was almost all, that's all, that was always true as far as I could tell. I mean, I never saw, I never saw Stacy make a deal just because she wanted to make, uh, the speaker of the house happy. You know, gotcha. um, or anything like that. Or, which is something we see know, happening right now on the national level. We see deals being cut, which seem unnecessary in some ways. Um, yeah. Going above and beyond to please people who clearly are not able to negotiate and be pleased as we're on the verge of a possible government shutdown. So I think that's a really interesting point you just made there about what you observe from your, your vantage point. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I'll give one example. There's this, you know, and I'm not going to quote all the bill numbers, but, um, you know, Stacey caught some flack because she ended up voting for the legislative version of the Opportunity School District bill. Um, but what people aren't told is, number one, that there were many, many things in that bill that were at the beginning of when it was, you know, originally drafted that were taken out of it because Stacy negotiated them out of it, such as eliminating dues deduction for uh, teachers. 
um, which which was was in the bill before she got involved. And so, you know, that would have devastated the, the teachers unions in the state. Um, and it would have also devastated some other teachers organizations that aren't unions. Um, and so, you know, but also what people don't know is that the, the, if the, she actually got the bill negotiated to the point where two of the, the two largest teachers organizations in the state, the Georgia Association of Educators, which is a sort of a semi-union um, and, and the PAGE, Professional Association of Georgia Educators, both uh, withdrew their opposition to the bill. Uh, they didn't support the bill, but they they they, they said we're no longer uh, opposed to it. Um, and so it, clearly she had made enough of a difference in, in what was in that bill for those folks to feel like they were okay with uh, letting it go through. So just thinking um, about this, I just want to stop you right there for a second. So just thinking about this this issue with your with your experience, both in terms of the lobbying and then also you know as a you know political director and organizer, just thinking about this strategy, right, that progressives and those of us on the left have about picking like these one issues for the, that to be the hill that we die on, you know, with both Stacey's running, you know, both women have, you know, records that are worth our consideration and purview. But, you know, obviously we could pick, you know, with both records, you know, votes to to point out or or it just seems, though, to some extent that it's kind of one sided in the way it's happening right now. Um, and I guess maybe that's what happens when you're uh, arguably the front runner. You know, you're the one to beat. But it just seems like progressives, while while there's a conversation to pick apart why Stacey Abrams is not a real progressive or she's not the candidate. Conversely, that conversation does not appear to happen the same extent with Stacey Evans. And I'm not sure if there's this impression that people are pushing Stacey Abrams farther left. I mean, I think for someone with her trajectory to see, just, just thinking about like, her staffing, it seemed like it, there was some synergy from the former you know, division that we saw coming out of 2016, and to some extent that exists in, in Evans' campaign as well, because you know, us on the left were a mixture of everybody. But it just seems like you know, there is a, there's a criticism to some extent that's like almost one-sided, right? Like it's not really... Um, there and I know I caught flack this summer <laughs> for for our incident at Netroots, but but really my issue has been that I would really like for us as progressives and the less to look at the issues and look at the candidates as exists as a whole and think about yeah. who is the best person we feel to to get behind and support and not just pick you know one subsection of a subsection of an issue for that to be, you know, the, 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 the moral hill to die on, so to speak, possibly shooting ourselves in the foot down the road. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to that, which, which we're, to what you're saying. And, um, I, I, there's, uh, a little bit of the backstory, but there was a, a couple of things about the, the sort of one-sidedness is, um, you know, and I, I've I found that a number of of nominal you know people who I normally can consider very progressive, very woke people, will um, and I got that in quotes just so you know. Uh, but the, but the, um, that they there's a blind spot there. There's a real blind spot when you're willing to say outrageously sort of inaccurate and untrue things about Stacey Abrams. And you see none of that about Stacey Evans. Um, more to the point is you, the, 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 the one-sidedness is Stacey Evans, you know, supported the Opportunity School District bill. 
she voted for it. She voted for the bill that was opposed by every teacher's union and every union in this state and pretty much every progressive organization in the state that unions ended up having to spend millions and millions of dollars to defeat uh, in the referendum. And I'm, I'm fucking, I'm just that she's given a free pass for that. No one has brought, no one is attacking her uh, for that. None of the progressives. We, um, did under, talking, we, we brought know, it up at Netroots and it didn't go over so well, but <laughs> I digress. Like we voted up at Netroots and for those who misconstrue what happened at Netroots is being because a group of predominantly black women didn't like the white woman speaking on stage, which has been said to me by certain so-called progressives. Um, it was really that that issue that you're talking about right there. The fact that there has been no conversation, there has been no for her to speak on the stage right before a member of um, NEU, uh, I believe is the vice. I think she was the vice president of NEU. Spoke right after uh, Stacey Evans. Like it just showed a lack of. There's this blind spot I think that we have in these spaces, you know, with with our progressive and liberal elites where as long as people say they're on our side, it doesn't matter, we're giving them space. And we don't have those tough conversations. Now, I know that that was an uncomfortable moment for people who were in the audience, for supporters, and for Stacey Evans and her staff as well. But I really would like to see us do better overall in terms of, and, and we can agree or disagree in terms of interruptions and stuff, but like you're saying, there has been like really no, the conversation is so one-sided in criticism. Um, and critique, and we need to build, you know, everyone's always talking about praxis, you know, democratic socialists always talk about their praxis. We need, we need praxis and practice, right? Like we need to have, you know, this conversation about what does it look like for us as a movement, as a body of people to put forth our demands, considerations, and and our energy instead of just getting on board because we got to get somebody elected because we have to beat the other person. I'm all for making sure, you know, the other guys on the other side are not governor. But at the same time, in the meantime, we should be looking at both candidates and saying, okay, these are the issues. We need you to respond and address them. And it only seems to happen with one person and not the other. And that was a problem, you know, in August. And I haven't really seen anyone make that demand since then. Well, but it's, it's, I think I think you're being a bit nice uh, about it. Because I'm being I, a bit I, nice I, because I've been blind so badly over what happened in August. I, so I'm trying to right. turn water. <laughs> I understand. Well, allow me to, to, to double down for you then, because but you literally have sections of the progressive community in Atlanta mostly, but in Georgia as well, who will literally call Stacey Evans a progressive after knowing that she voted for that heinous bill and in the same breath say that Stacey Abrams is not a progressive. And to me, I mean, I I don't know what else you call that other than racist. I mean, like, I I don't know how, how to be that polite because I, 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 it, it flies all over me every time I see it because it's obvious that, that Stacey uh, Abrams has had responsibilities and a terrain that she had to navigate that Stacey Evans has never had to navigate. You know, that she is, Stacey Abrams was the leader 
of the of the House Minority Caucus who had to negotiate these things and had to had the real weight of of the consequences of her actions. Um, whereas someone like you know Stacey Evans can uh, throw rocks because she never had the had to make that kind of a decision uh, related to legislation that was going to you know really severely hurt working families or educators or people of color and thinking that, well, if I can just make it hurt a little worse, sometimes that makes a difference. And, and th- when you're a leader, you have to make, if you don't make those calls, people get hurt worse. And um, I, I admire Stacey Abrams tremendously for that reason, that she was able to make the decisions instead of passing the buck and just kicking the can down the road and say, oh, well, we're the minority caucus. We couldn't do anything. You know, she did everything she could within her power as a minority leader to uh, reduce the harm that uh, the right wing was going to do to uh, the people of Georgia. And, uh, you know, so I, I appreciate that, you know, and I, I admire her. For that. I mean, I, and I, it makes me very defensive of her. Uh, I, I, I feel like I have a sort of like uh, she's somebody who I, I just I, I can't stand the way she's talked about by some of these folks and in, in people that I normally in, in some cases have some respect for, you know, um, but, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting race. Um, the other thing is, is uh, that, you know, that you get is and you, you've seen it, surely, because I mean, that was this was sort of the uh, part of the impetus behind your, uh, you know, raising the issues at, at, at Netroots was that because of Stacey Evans being white, she is immediately perceived as more electable than Stacey Abrams. And that the polling doesn't bear that out. You know, um, uh, I think Stacey Abrams is going to win the Democratic primary for uh, governor, and she's going to win it, win it handily. She's not, it's not going to be a close race. Um, and uh, I've seen her operation. I've seen, you know, I, I, I've, I've seen how, what kind of uh, uh, apparatus she has created, and it's, 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 it's incredible. You know, her campaign is going to be like none that we have seen in Georgia in our lifetimes. Wow. And I'm, exci- and I'm excited about You're that. You're excited. That's awesome. I, because one of the things I, I did, just thinking about what you were saying and thinking about, um, like, you know, thinking about uh, this whole conversation, right, about looking at, you know, comparable uh, uh, candidates and measuring their experience, measuring the decisions and their values and things like that. Like, that's something that we really, as a movement and as a political movement in some ways, like the quote-unquote progressive movement, you know, those of us who supported Senator Sanders, are it's kind of a young movement. Even though there are people like yourself who have a lot of experience and, you know, aren't new to this, overall the space is a newer space in some ways. Um, and it just seems like it's very easy because I, I had someone, you know, say one was establishment versus the other. And I don't know that those very neat lines, well, not that I don't know, those very neat lines that we're able to draw in some situations don't exist here for various reasons. And I think that when you look at state level and local level races, it gets a little murkier, as we saw in the uh, mayoral election here in Atlanta, as well as we've seen in other local races, you know, across across the country, it's not, you know, as neatly cut and dry as it could be, you know, in a presidential primary, for example, um, because people have these larger, broader views 
And when you get down to it on this, you know, on our local level, they're, they're just real specific things. And, you know, someone might be really great on these three issues, but okay on this other one. Someone else might be fabulous on one issue, but weak on like five other things. So like, how, how, how as progressives, when we're trying to decide who to get behind, who to support, where to put our energy and time and resources. And it's not like we have a lot of any of that stuff or any money really, right? Like how do we really begin to like engage and figure out where to place our time and energy, how to evaluate, you know, these competing uh, measurements, so to speak, uh, and looking at what candidates to be supporting and getting behind? Yeah, I mean, that, that's like the question, right? I think fun, the first thing we got to do uh, is we got to really resist the temptation to let uh, a moral, puritanical sort of method guide our decisions, that we need to be thinking about what we're fighting for, who we're fighting against, you know, and then what, what candidate is going to best, A, convey our politics, but B, wage a viable campaign to actually change the terrain that we're that we're operating on um it's real nice to have uh a candidate who uh you know will say whatever you know progressive uh laundry list is there uh will give you every item that you think is important but is that candidate actually going to win or wage the type of campaign that will draw in the necessary forces to en enable them to win. Um, if you don't have that coalition of, of forces and, and coming together behind a candidate, they're not viable, you know. And and in, partic in particular, when we're looking at say the you know the governor's race, we have to have that. This is this is this is a coalition of interests. This is not um, just the progressives, you know. That, that there are uh, the communities of color out there that don't necessarily always identify as progressives, but their politics are, are, are progressive by, by virtue of who they are, you know, and what community they are. But th that weaving together all these, pa these parts to, to, to build that powerful kind of coalition takes uh, a, a candidate who, who can, can do that, can negotiate that and bring those people together, but also gives them a real sense that they are worth working for, that they are going to not only uh, say they're going to change things, but put together a campaign that gives them the ability to change things because they're going to win. And you find a lot of people out there that will support this or that candidate who's, uh, you know, esoteric or whatever, and they'll say, oh, but he's a, he's a real progressive. And it's like, okay, but he's a real progressive who's not going to win. You know, um, not, and I'm not making an argument for triangulation. I'm making an argument for better candidates, you know, uh, the second part is it's not just about the candidates. It's about the organizations that we build independent of the candidates on the ground, on the ground in our day-to-day -day work that at election time become the, the progressive left machine that will bring people out in droves to kick the ass of the Republicans. You know, we're not, but we're not going to do that uh, coming to people a month out from election day or two months out from election day and say, hey, vote for this candidate. They're going to change everything. We've got to be shaping that landscape year round so that when the time comes to marshal our forces that we have, uh, that we've put in that work and we've built that base, 
uh, that will come out um, because as we as we've seen uh, in in more than one race, uh, uninspired voters lead to Republican victors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. and, and uh, whether we're talking about at the White House or in the governor's uh, mansion or in the in the District Six Senate race, right, right, I mean, right. Uh, uh, I mean, congressional race. I'm sorry. Right, right, right. Like one my 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 one example of that that I that I watched happen. Um, I moved here from West Charleston, West Virginia. We had a chemical spill back. It's been four years exactly now. We had a chemical spill after a few months of bottled water. Everything we moved down here because my parents and my siblings are here. But there was this really great effort of people who identified all across the political spectrum demanding regulation in West Virginia people demanding re- regulation and making Republicans and Democrats in you know the state house come together to make it a reality to have above ground storage tank regulations which never existed in what like a hundred years in the state or whatever and people were so dejected though after all of that so this was a failure of leadership and a failure of organizing in many ways people were so dejected after that entire experience by the time it was 2014 so by the time that was a midterm election cycle that was also a gubernatorial you know, not a gubernatorial but there were also state uh, level races available at the time that was the first time in 80 years that the Rep- that the house flipped republican because people were so upset and so dejected they had the lowest voter turnout in decades and the Republicans thing was, well, what do you have to lose? The Democrats have been in charge all this time. And look what happened. Your water got poisoned immediately upon taking off, taking charge of the House. They rescinded most of the gutted most of the bill that we all had worked so hard for. So, like, I've seen the beauty of powerful, awesome grassroots organizing machine to get something done. But we have to be on it. There can't be an off cycle. I know it's I know it's tiring. Right. Particularly when you're underfunded, you're volunteer, you know, run. But we have to find a way to build, like you said, the capacity to to reach and bring out the base, but also keep people engaged so that when the next thing comes along, we're already in motion as a as a people instead of trying to cobble together a group you know, to respond, you know, we're, we're, we're almost like triage sometimes, right? Versus thinking about long-term maintenance and, 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 and health where we're always, it seems like we're in battle triage mode when it comes to these big fights and we have to find a way we're really going to create sustainable change to do that long-term bigger picture. We have to find a way to do both. And I know it's hard, but somehow uh, 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 we got to do it. One of the things I was thinking of, though, when you were talking about building the base, turning out voters to, to, to take the state back, right, was thinking about this notion of the way they frame the difference, the different strategies within a Democratic Party in, in our primary and which voters should be targeted. And it's almost like within media reports, like it's being pitted that somehow Abrams is going to forget about the white voters in the state. There seems to be this angst right around Democrats losing white voters. When we look at the percentages and how they turn out, it's not that, you know, Democrats should ignore white voters, but this fear of losing a voting population that is already lost um, is is fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that that's sort of the... Um it's it's a it's a it's a pathological problem i think among mm-hmm. democrats to you know roll out this strategy of trying to capture um you know reactionary i'm not just talking about white but i'm talking about right wing white folks right. that's who we're that you know uh that there's and there's a difference i mean uh but you look at uh the 2008 election 
uh, Barack Obama came relatively close to to to, to winning Georgia. I mean, it was comparatively, surprisingly. Um, and but then you look at the exit polls. He had he got twenty five percent of the white vote. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know what we have to start doing is if if we want white voters, then we have to find a way to appeal to white voters on the basis of the of progressive values that intersect with their interests. And this, so you know, like I, I just saw the polls the other day, the where the the um the tax bill trump's tax bill is tr- is tremendously unpopular in georgia um seventy five percent of the people polled support marijuana uh medical marijuana legalization fifty percent support recreational le- legalization uh, i mean the electorate is a fluid thing and and their response is determined by what you ask them you know right. so when you if you if you ask them about uh Issue. You have to find issues that they viscerally respond to as well, you know. Right. So, so when we're talking, the you know the the theory of the the, the Stacey Evans campaign, and it's the same theory that that Jason Carter's campaign had. It's the same theory that Roy Barnes's campaign had, was that education is the weak spot of the Republicans, and if we campaign on education, then that gets us this cross section of of the Republican vote that you know because they care about education and they, and it'll it'll trump all the the wedge issues that are traditionally used to divide to, to divide white people away from black folks uh in elections and that wasn't the case it didn't it it uh, it didn't it didn't pan out none of that bore out but they we're we're going back to that campaign to at the Evans campaign using the same strategy and how is that uh when when you've lost by wide margins on that strategy repeatedly um it it, does, it makes zero sense to continue, like you know what you're talking about, using these same, you know the same worn out strategies of trying to uh, peel off reactionary voters instead of trying to inspire, mobilize, turn out, and organize uh, the 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 base of the progressive vote, which at this point um, it, 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 it is close to becoming a majority in Georgia, uh, according to you know. Looking at elections and polling, that there there are there are we have wedge issues now, and our wedge issues are economics. You know, when we talk about people are figuring out that trickle down only trickles down your leg. You know, I mean, like there there's this tax breaks and stuff. That stuff people aren't buying that stuff anymore, but we're not taking advantage of it and uh, and really pivoting left is what you know. In my opinion, we should be pivoting towards a more robust populist message that it will appeal that will appeal to white voters you know um and 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 because it provides the basis for both white voters and black voters to have a common interest uh and 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 when you build that coalition you win when you when you're able to when you when you are able to stand on issues of economic and racial justice and you're that is what people respond to, and that's what people will vote for, and we've seen it time and time again. And if, but we haven't seen the real the, the big thing we haven't done here in Georgia is there the the independent base of progressives that are out there. We have not resourced that aspect of our movement enough to be able to go out there and carry out that independent role to build that coalition and to to really 
foster and develop those politics among working people and communities of color. I think, you know, that was a really strong point. When we had our conversation, um, when we had our sit down, you and I, uh, we talked about this. We talked about specifically looking at health care and the hospital closures in, in, rural, in right. rural rural counties. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, not too long after we talked, I ended up in Grady with my youngest sister for 14 hours. Uh, she has juvenile idiopathic arthritis and has not been able. She at 19, she lost, you know, she lost her health insurance because she got bumped off of peach care. And she has a Grady card now, but she had like, I think by the time she gets to see a rheumatologist at the end of next month, it'll be like almost an eight month wait for a rheumatologist. Um, and and even so, even though there is some place that she could get to reasonable transportation access, the wait, the delay, the time to get that, that like the healthcare piece, right? That seems something, that seems like something that definitely is an organizing force. So if you are concerned about recapturing certain voters in certain communities, the fact that you've had regional and community hospitals closed all over the state, the fact that we don't have Medicaid, Medicaid expansion, you know, I, I, the idea of Medicare for all, you know, so much, so much within that, the realm of that, and that's all that, you know, healthcare is an economic issue. It crosses over, you know, race and, and, you know, ethnicity and all that good stuff. I mean, there, there seem to be so many issues that really could be motivational tools for, for leveraging, you know, that type of cohort in terms of a voting base, like you were saying, but it just seems like there is this, there's this desire within, you know, Democrats who are running for statewide, these bigger offices to, to, to go to the middle. And even some ways, like you said, to swing somewhat right. We saw Hillary Clinton do that with the commercial she ran here um, during the general election. Um, you know, I was always surprised when I saw a Republicans for Hillary commercial. I don't forgive me, guys. I don't know if that's exactly what the, the, the committee was called, but they were Republicans, you know, from Georgia here talking about why they were supporting her. And as someone who leans left, who votes Democrat, I was really like kind of taken aback because I'm just like, OK, you're still going to vote for these people down ballot <laughs> who aren't thinking about my interests in the same way. So so it's a really interesting strategy that they choose to do. And it has been a losing strategy for several years now. What will it take to get through that we need to change course? Or do you think what we've seen in the, since 2016 with you know Trump's loss and then with the Georgia 6 loss, do you think that finally Georgia is starting to get it as a whole of where we need to be moving um, electorally and organizing work-wise? I mean, I think we're moving that way. What's, what's, what's sort of a question mark to me is, have we shifted as much or the same as some of the other, these other Southern states that we have seen real big shifts? Like we had a, in uh, Virginia, uh, we had a Democratic Socialist beat the Republican uh, majority whip. Uh, a Democratic Socialist in Virginia beat the majority, you know, the Republican majority whip, uh, and in the state house. And um, to me, that just shows that it's not, uh, you know, that the, 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 the landscape is shifting. Um, and one of the reasons why the, I think that the Democrats have such an issue with, with um, recognizing that is because they are so used to trying to cobble together coalitions based on triangulation rather than coalitions based on mutual interests. And so you, you don't, you, you know, we're trying to peel off 
uh, 10% 10 of the Republican vote rather than trying to double down on the issues that are critical to working people that would inspire folks who normally don't vote to come to the polls. Um, and, you know, and that, that brings me back to sort of what, I, what one of the things Stacey Abrams has said repeatedly in my presence. Um, and I, when I first heard her say it, I, I just I was thrilled. But she she made the point. She said, look, I know that uh, when you when we, you know, there's this theory of you run to the left in the in the primary and you run to the right in the general. And she says, I, I'm not going to play that game this time. I'm running on my platform from here till the end. And to me, that's that's a shift in 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 what is sort of considered to be pragmatic politics. You know, she because Stacey is not the kind of person that makes those kind of decisions based on you know just a whim. I mean, she's she's looked at at, at how she can cobble together the progressive coalition uh, with some moderates that can actually win this state. And um, and that, that's one of the things that makes me so excited about this is that she's actually going out there with this robust field operation, talking to people about real issues um, and, 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 and building organization that, you know, ultimately I'm, I'm very hopeful or will enable us to elect the first black uh, governor of the state of Georgia. Well, and the first black woman nationwide. And I know there's a lot of excitement, you know, in that, but I appreciate the way you discuss um, you know, from your knowledge and experience working with her, uh, her candidacy and her platform and the nuance in the race between the two. I mean, obviously, with either with either Stacy, it's so wild. We have two Stacys running the Stacys. We have two Stacys running for it. It is very weird. Yeah. <laughs> with the same exact spelling, too. It's fascinating. But um, Stacey Hopkins jokes that, uh, you know, she she jokes about, oh, I might throw my, my name in the ring and then just people might get confused and then elect me instead. And and I was like, oh, my God, if you have three Stacey's on the ballot, that would just be insane. But um, also the same exact way. <laughs> but but just 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 thinking just what you were saying, though, about reflecting on, yes, she would be the first black woman you know nationwide. She'd be the first black governor of Georgia. But that the fact that her politics, you know, from what you're saying, from what your experience is just so on point overall, of course, again, with any any candidate, you know, even with those of us who supported Bernie Sanders, there were issues in various aspects. Right. But you compromise. It's just how to what degree do you compromise? And it's it's refreshing to hear you talk about the excitement of, you know, a, a notable first. But also at the same time, it's not solely, you know, that notability that is the thing, right? Because so often the criticism is that, oh, you just folk, people just focus on identity politics. And I really appreciate the course of our conversation, how you provided substance, you know, for the support to show that we can address matters of race while addressing matters of good, good practice and praxis while talking about economic justice. We can do all of this. We can deal with bread and butter issues, you know what I'm saying, pocketbook issues, and we can tackle this other stuff head on and build the foundation, the coalition that we need to win. Um, so I really appreciate the way you, 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 you know, you weave all that together. Um, just in thinking about like Georgia as a whole, right, on the grassroots side, what are some things that you that you see from your experience and also, again, coming through, you know, what we just experienced in, in the 2016 cycle that we could uh, improve upon? You know, I think there's a really strong 
force here, like statewide, as well as in the metro area, it might not be as well connected to each other as it could be as progressives, like in terms of that machine you were talking about. But like, what are some things that you see that we should be working towards as we're building? Because there's something great to build on right now, right? There's a synergy happening, I feel like. And it just seems like the more we we find a way to build on the common ground and the and the common spaces, the stronger and better will be for future you know races. Like for the next mayoral election, for example, here in Atlanta Atlanta area, like we'll just have more more of that ground support and community support the next time we try to run a candidate. What do you see as some of the things that we can improve upon? We can expand upon. Or, you know, are there things that we're just doing so great? We just need to keep it up. I, I will say I, um, I, there's, there's not a, I don't think there's a silver bullet, but I think that there is a, um, a major uh, step will, will be made if, but to the extent to which we are able to cohere, establish, resource, and train organizers and organizations that are independent base organizations out there that relate to the Democrats, that relate to the, you know, that play politics on a realistic level, uh, but the, and that are sober in the way they, they, they look at and strategic at the way they look at the lay of the land, um, but who are actually out there on a year to year, day to day level, year after year, talking and developing leaders among these communities. Um, and building organizations on that level. You know, um, there's these organizations that are sort of popping up around the country called independent political organizations, and they've been around, some of them have been around quite a while, but there's more of a, of a proliferation of them happening now. Of these sort of base organizations, they're usually organized by us on a city basis, um, or if they're organized on a statewide basis, they're organized, you know, with chapters. But and they, like I said, they relate to the the Democrats because the Democrats uh, are their, you know, typically pragmatically speaking, the best shot at advancing progressive politics in terms of an electoral uh, ballot line. Um, so they don't put a lot of emphasis on, you know, building a third party or any of that kind of stuff. It's more like building politics in the communities um, that at the time elections come around, express themselves in, in electoral mobilization. But when there aren't elections going around, are expressing themselves in mobilizing and activating people around issues uh, that affect their communities. And if we, and I think that to the extent that we build up, uh, uh, and, and, we, and we, so I guess in essence what I'm saying is we need an army of organizers, and I don't mean just uh, an army of activists. I mean people who are actually trained in the methodology of how to go out there and build power among regular people. Um, and that's there. They, you know, there, there's a lots of tried and true methods of that 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 we we can be training people how to build organizations in in their neighborhoods, how to build organizations in their cities. Um, I, when we, you know, when we you're bringing up the conversation we had about the uh, the hospitals. Uh, in, in South Georgia being uh, closing down because of uh, the lack of, of Medicaid expansion. Um, imagine what it would look like if you were to build organizations in, say, South Georgia, who whenever one of these hospitals started uh, put out word that they were going to close down or they look like they may close down, that those communities blew up, you know, that those communities were mobilized 
to raise holy hell and to, you know, uh, get buses and come to the Capitol and build, you know, run against people who are not going to support Medicaid expansion because they want to save their hospital. If you build that, or, and, and if we were to build that, that and, and, and I'm with the reason I'm bringing up the South Georgia is because we're talking about white communities. You know, we're talking about communities where there are it's rural uh, white communities that that hospital is a major job creator. It's a, it's sort of a pillar of the community. It's it's an in- integral part of a, the city or the town these people live in, and they rely on it tremendously for health care. You know, um, that that looking at those things. Um, uh, that we can mobilize people around in constituencies that have been uh, diverted into reactionary politics over, you know, with dog whistle politics or whatever. And, and sort of the antidote to dog whistle politics is populism, you know? Um, so you can pull, you can pull uh, a racist, uh, you can at least make a racist deprioritize their racism when you connect their interests with other people. You know, and you may not be able to you can't necessarily make them not racist anymore, but you can make them recognize that they need to take action in their interests and and that sometimes their that their actions are going to end up being uh, in line with all the other, uh, you know, the, the progressive base, the, the uh, communities of color uh, and people like that. So, you know, I think it's worth pointing out um, and I. I can't remember if you've been, if, and I, I don't remember what year it was, when there was a ballot proposition uh, around charter schools to amend the state's constitution around the state's ability to um, authorize charter schools. And, uh, of course, the, the, the left campaigned against it, and um, it ended up passing, but it passed in um, it passed in Atlanta, but it didn't pass in South Georgia, in right in white communities, and the reason it, you know people don't or like that doesn't make any sense. Well, it, you know what what makes a lot of sense is these folks rely that that high school, that public high school. If you've ever lived in a small town, you 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 know that uh, a high school football team is the center of the town. You know, that's that's what people and that that school is an institution that that town values and that if you uh, proliferate charter schools and it's going to defund that high school, then these these blue collar white communities suddenly become uh, people that will vote in a progressive direction. You know, um, because they their interests align with the, the, the notion that you need to preserve public education. And it's, but it's particular and, and looking at these folks and looking at those issues that are things that we can mobilize around that do that type of thing, that cause that type of reaction among um, blue collar working class uh, white communities. If we can build that strategic alliance between uh, working class white folks and the, and the black community and women and the LGBT community, we will win Georgia and we'll win races up and down uh, the ballot line. Right. Um, absolutely agree. I think the way you just phrased that, you know, was beautiful. And I really hope that folks will take time to listen, understand and add it to the way they're organizing instead of acting like they have to, they can't to talk too much about one issue or they have to do one or the other because they don't want to, you know, lose certain voters potentially. Um, 
because no one is speaking to a large segment of the corporate comp- of the of the country right now. Even those who may support certain things like the wall, etc., there are needs that are not being met, and nobody, nobody, like you pointed out earlier, the tax plan is very unpopular here. Nobody's speaking to these things. Medicare for all is very popular across everybody. There are very few people speaking to these things that are important to all of our communities across the board. Now, like you said, that's not saying we're going to convince people not to be racist anymore, but at least we can show them like, look, you're voting against your interests. You're, you're spiting, you're, you know, you're spiting, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face or whatever the saying is. Like, there's a better way we can do this without disregarding marginalized communities and communities of color. At the same time, we can also talk about, you know, the pocketbook issue, so to speak, because that's something that affects the majority of people across the board. And, 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 when you, see, and you build your politics based on the majority and absolutely. the majority's concerns, you win. <laughs> right, right, right. When you, when you don't and you kind of hedge your bets, it's like uh, maybe you'll get just enough um, to support out. Any, I, I mean, I appreciate you so much for taking time to, to part some wisdom and knowledge. Um, you got any final thoughts before we close out? I, yeah, I, I think that, um, that we are coming that this year, uh, you know, the people are calling there's going to be a blue wave. I happen to be one of the people that think that that blue wave could be as bigger than people think it can be. Um, I think that there, there's a potential out there for a landslide progressive, vote populist vote against the Republicans and the right wing uh this November. And I think if if we go out and we think about how we can best contribute to that process and not just think about whether somebody has checked all the boxes that we want them to check, but whether we're moving things in the right direction and we're mobilizing the right base of people to win this election, um then we, we, if we think about those things, we can win. And I just really want to encourage people to sort of get outside their comfort zones of how they think about politics normally and think about the fact that this isn't about we need we don't it, you know there's the, the tendency to talk about uh, we 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 don't we don't pay attention to the rural areas and we got to stop paying so much attention to Atlanta. No, we need Atlanta. Sixty percent of Georgia's electorate is in Atlanta or in the metro Atlanta area. So you can't ignore Atlanta and win an election. You have to have outsized uh, turnout in Atlanta, and you need outsized turnout, and you need to also be able to get out there and organize to drive a wedge between the right wing and their base that who, whose interests the right wing is never, ever acting in. Um, so I just really encourage people to, to be thinking about organizing uh, and not just being activists, uh, but how to le- learning the fundamentals of organizing and getting out there and applying that this year so that we can win this state and turn it, uh, turn things around and make this state work for working people and people of color and women and LGBT folks. Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> you almost took me to church there. Like, no, seriously, that was, I appreciate the way you, I really appreciate the nuance and the way you discuss and, and, and lay these issues out. And I look forward to us having more conversations across the rest of this primary season here in, in Georgia and the 20, 2018 cycle as a whole. Um, you know, I think, you know, my thing is about good conversations and good people doing good work. And Eric, you're definitely one of those people. So I definitely hope you'll join me again. And I appreciate you very much for, for hanging out with me today for a little bit. I'd love to come back anytime. I, I'm thrilled to have the Thank you for having me on. And 
Um, keep doing the good work. Keep having the great conversations because that's the other way we, we're going to continue to build this thing. That's right. All right. This has been another edition of The Way of Noah. Peace.